Our text for this morning has been read in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. And our title, what we want to reflect on, just to share with you, is um, in the topic, God's guarantee, God's assurance. Let us pray together. Our kind and loving Father, we invite your presence once more, Lord, as we open your word. May you help us to understand, apply it, and appreciate it, Lord, through the Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You will agree with me when I say that as human beings, we uh, find stability in a context where there's predictability, where there's certainty. Uh, we struggle to live our lives when we are not sure what's going to happen. Um, technology, of course, has been built around the concept of, of certainty, predictability. If I dial a number, it will go straight where I want it to go. You don't dial it. I hope it gets there. It goes there. If you have the right number, you have the right phone number, you know you'll reach the person. That's the certainty that gives a wheels to uh, technology. Science, of course, makes progress. And its progress is measured by the degree of certainty, of predictability. So we have got formulas that guarantee if A plus B will always give you this. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be in East Timor, you could be in Brazil. You could be in Asia. If you use this formula, you will get this, this, uh, these results. But our challenge is that once we transcend and we get into the field of faith, sometimes the certainty, the predictability that we want is not, is not often there. In other words, even in faith, we always want the if and the then. If you pray, God will do this. If you fast, God will heal you. If you pray for employment, you will find employment. So if you don't find employment, check your prayer. So in other words, there's something wrong. So go to the formula again or prayer. Oh, it was not long enough. So extend it so that you can get, uh, you can get employment. So we want such things so that when we pray and what we pray for doesn't happen, then we feel like, oops, maybe we didn't pray enough. Maybe God did not listen because we want these certainties in our, in our life. And that oftentimes, of course, more often than not, leads us to some serious uh, frustration. And, uh, and, uh, so, and, and the challenge there is that we often make our wishes God's guarantee. What I wish becomes God's guarantee. And God may not have said that, but it's my wish. I wish I could pass my metric and then you, it moves to God will make sure that I pass. I wish I could be protected. God will protect me. So you move from wish to God's guarantee. As if God said that you wish, your wish now becomes God's guarantee. And when God does not fulfill your wish, it's like now God is unfaithful when God did not say that. Now, I'm not trying to say that uh, there are no guarantees in the Bible. Yes, there are guarantees in the Bible. Uh, for example, the Bible says if, if, if you confess, your, there's your if, if you confess, if you confess your sins, God will forgive you. So at least there's a guarantee there. Of course, we, all, we also struggle even after we've confessed to accept that God has forgiven us. But at least there is a formula. If you confess, I will, I will forgive you. But if you look at our text this morning, it says, go you and, and preach the, the gospel. And then it says at the end, as, 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 as Christ signs off and he says, and Lord, I will be with you always. That comes as a guarantee. I am guaranteeing you my presence. I will be with you. So, so there's if, 
you go. I will be with you. All right? So that's a, that's, a, that's a formula there. It should give us some predictability. If you go, I'm going to be with you. If you're not going, I'm not going to be with you. So God is not going to be with you if you're not going. So if you go, I'm going to be with you. And that's where the challenge is. Because we, not, we do not always understand what it means when God says, I'm going to be with you. If you look at the, at the, at the, at the whole text, uh, 19 and 20, when, when God, when, when, when at the end Christ says, I'll be with you, it, 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 it highlights at least two elements in the Gospel Commission. And those two are, number one, that, that the mission, God's mission is impossible. It becomes possible if God is with you. So we've got our missionaries serving in Egypt, we've got our missionaries in Japan, we've got missionaries in, in Cambodia. Now, if you go there and you look at what needs to be done, from a human perspective, it is impossible. But because, but because you know that God is going to be with you, that which looks impossible becomes possible. So when God says, I'm going to be with you, he's by implication saying that what I'm assigning you, what I'm asking you to do, he's not asking you to play basketball. You, you may not need him when you play basketball. All you need is your talent. But he's asking you to do something impossible. Then he says, because it is impossible, you need me. Pray, connect, let's cooperate so that I can intervene and be part of that and make sure that it succeeds. But the second one, I'm not going to talk more about the, the first one, impossible. I mean, in Acts 1, verse 8, 8, 9, it says, wait here, don't move until you receive the Holy Spirit because the assignment is huge. It is impossible. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You need Pentecost for mission to move. It's not just your wisdom. You can have your PhD. You can be the great, 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 great son, son, daughter, or child of a missionary. But you need God's presence for this thing to be possible. That's number one. I'm not going to be focusing on that. What I want to focus on by God's grace this morning is that mission is not only impossible, it is also dangerous. Mission is a dangerous task. In other words, for us to be involved in mission, it is important for us to realize that this is a dangerous assignment. And the problem with the second part is that with the first one, when God in intervenes, when God is present, the impossible becomes possible. With the second one, mission becomes dangerous even when God is present. So God's presence does not make it safe. He doesn't, no, I'm present. You can relax now, I'm here. It's, it's safe. No, no. Even when he's there, there can still be casualties in his presence. People can die in his presence. People can be arrested and imprisoned in his presence. People may suffer in his presence. So the danger remains even when God is present. Unlike the first one, where the impossible becomes, becomes possible. So I want us to focus on that. Just look at two things on, the, on, on, on this aspect of mission being a dangerous task. Number one, we just want to understand why is mission dangerous? And the second part we want to deal with is uh, what is the meaning? What does it mean when we say, what does it mean when God says, I will be with you? When Christ says, I will be with you, what does that mean? Because we don't want to attach our own meaning because that is going to lead us to some serious frustration. So it's when God says, I'm going to be with you, it means this. Let's hear 
at least we may not exhaust this, but at least get an idea or be reminded. It's not like something new, what it means when God says, I'm, go I'm going to be with you. All right, let's look at the first one. Um, why is mission dangerous? Or right, some of us are already in the mission, some are already going. I hope when I say that mission is dangerous, you won't uh, say, you know what, I didn't know it was so dangerous, I'm no longer going there. But of course, I know we know that. So why, why is mission a dangerous task? Now, the commission in Matthew 28 was given, and you'll agree with me, a few days after the resurrection of Christ. It, 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 it somehow refocused and regrouped the scattered followers of Jesus and gave them matching orders and a reason for living. Now, I'm going to read a text uh, remember, Matthew 28 is post-resurrection. It comes after resurrection, a few days after resurrection. I'm going to read you another text, believe it or not, that is also coming from the same period. Uh, and that text is found in Revelation 12, verse 12. Same period, almost same time, after the cross, after the resurrection. Uh, almost the same, same um, time or period. And this one says, therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now, Revelation 12 is located within what is called the great conflict um, section of, of the book of Revelation. And the climax in that uh, passage is found, well, I regard it as a climax. Some may say, no, it's not. But what I see as the climax is, comes in verse 10, which depicts the defeat of Satan. You've got the defeat of Satan from heaven, but there's also implied in verse 10 the defeat of Satan. On the cross, when Christ says it is finished, he meant that it's over. The devil has been given a final and a fatal blow. So the text, this text that I've just read, takes, us, uh, takes place after the cross. When the devil realized after the death of Christ and his resurrection, by the way, that he had no longer time, that his faith was sealed, and that he had limited access. Ellen White says, uh, when Christ says it is finished, the devil realized that his time is over. Actually, his access to the angels was limited. He was confined to this, to this, to this planet. And so you, one would then imagine that the devil is is almost doubling his efforts. He says, this is it. I, I, I'm not going to go down without a fight. I'm going to make sure that if I'm going to um, go and, and, and be lost forever, I will take as, with me as many as I can. So if you read verse 13, for example, it says, when he realized that he had lost the battle at the cross, he, in verse 13, says he persecuted the woman. He persecuted the church. So the gospel, therefore, does not go to a friendly environment. It doesn't go to a friendly planet. This planet is full of demons. A third, I don't know of what, but a third uh, of, of, of the angels of heaven are all over this planet and they are angry because they know their fate and they know what will happen to us if we remain, if we remain faithful. As one preacher said, they know where we are going because that's where they are coming from. And they would like us to take us with them to where they are destined, which is uh, eternal life. So the, the, the gospel goes to a world that is at war. It goes to an environment that is full of enemies, full of demons that are very angry. Uh, my wife was saying the other day 
that the way things are happening today, it's like even the laziest demon is up and running. Even the laziest is up and running. The time has come to an end. The time is short. The Bible says the devil is angry. He's, he's, he's has great wrath. He's, he's, uh, Peter says he's like a roaring lion. He's going around looking for someone to, 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 to destroy. Now, he fought against Christ in heaven and he lost. He continued the battle on the planet on, on, in the Garden of Eden. He had a temporal victory there, but Christ came and, and, and defeated, defeated him on the cross. And Revelation 12 verse 11 predicts a time where we will defeat him. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of Jesus and they did not love their lives unto death. That's the danger. That these witnesses are willing to witness of, of Christ and witness about Christ to the point of losing their own lives. They will not withdraw because it's dangerous. They will go even though they know it is dangerous. So we become these willing witnesses for Christ to the point of death. We do realize that mission is a dangerous task. Once you involve yourself in mission, then you have to know that the devil will, will go for your property. He will go for your children. He will go for your marriage. He will go for your health. Because he, he feels that if you continue being faithful, then you endanger his own mission. But Christ says in Mark 16, towards the end of the, of the chapter, then verse 17, he says, go. As he says, go, he says, fear not, I'll be with you. He says, you will cast out demons. You see, this is a conflict. So as you go out there, you're going to confront demons. You're not just building bridges and breeding wells and healing people and, and teaching and, and just preaching. It's war. You are casting out demons. You are confronting demons. But these demons are not suffering from COVID. They are not sick. They are healthy. They are strong. They are good vegetarians. And they will also put up a fight. It's not going to be easy. And sometimes we, 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 get, we, we, get, we get surprised when the devils fight back, when the demons fight back as if they're not supposed to fight. I mean, God is with us. They must just be humble and not do anything. No, this is real. This is a real war. And Christ says, I will be with you till the end of time. And the promise is for those and to those who are on the battlefield. Those who see life as a battle and a match. Those who are fighting under the blood-stained uh, banner of Christ. So that's why we say mission is a dangerous task. And the second one, what does it mean then when it says that, uh, when Christ says, I'll be with you? Now, say yes or no. When you, uh, um, if, if I'm going to read a statement. If, if you agree with it, you say yes. If you don't agree, you say no. You can't be wrong because that's what you think it is. So you're fine. So does it mean we will be safe from harm and danger if God is with us? Only one person says no. The rest say yes. All right? Okay. Does it mean we will not suffer? Does it mean we will, be, will always be saved from death? We will not lose our loved one. We will not suffer from cancer. If you suffer from cancer, it means you have a little faith. It means God is not with you. It means there's something wrong. People who walk with God are not supposed to have cancer. Hospitals must be filled with people who don't have Christ. Though all those who walk with Christ are not supposed to be in hospital. You'll be surprised how many people think like that. That if you are sick, there's something wrong with you. As a Christian who is committed and having strong faith, you're not supposed to be sick because God is with you. Does it mean that all these things will not happen to us if God is with us? 
Now, I don't know how many of you saw the, the quotation, the reference made by the author of the lesson, just on the first page of, of this week's lesson. And I'm just, take the, I'm just going to take the last part. He says, quoting C.S. Lewis, who was watching his wife dying. This is now, I'm quoting, this, this is C.S. Lewis saying this. The conclusion I dread, the conclusion I'm afraid of, is not so the there is no God after all. That's not the conclusion he was afraid of. Now, when you look at your loved one suffering, his, his fear was not that he will conclude that there is no God. That was not his fear. Louis' fear is, so this is what God looks like. So his fear was not that he would conclude that there is no God because of suffering. His fear was that he will conclude that God is like this, that God is actually the one who has brought death on my mouth, that God is the one who's killing my mouth, that God is the one who has afflicted me with cancer. God is responsible for what I'm going through. That was Louis' dread. That was his fear. And those some, uh, when they are faced with these challenges, even though they may have been elders and pastors, they go through these difficulties and say, no, there is no God. And they are being honest. If God is with me, why should I suffer? So there is no God. Others say, no, he's, he's with me. He's like that. He makes you suffer. That's a cruel God. What else can we do? I don't know which one is better. But the question is, when it hurts, I know now we may be here um, and things may be going very well. But when, when we are, and these things, you know, uh, they just strike when we least expect, you know, when things are just moving so well, boom, then we are not ready. And sometimes it, it, it takes you off and you want to ask questions, where is God? And I've heard many people, and I've said it also in my life, but we prayed when we left. We prayed before we slept. Why does God allow this when we have prayed? Does he care? If God is with us, why all this? Now, I looked at the story of Joseph just to answer some of the questions. This, of course, this is not going to be exhaustive. We'll be here the whole day and the whole week. Uh, just, just to highlight some few things, what it means when the Bible says God is with you. Now, just reflecting on the, on the story of, of Joseph. So, and the reason I picked up this story because the story, actually, the real story of Joseph begins in verse 2 of chapter 39. And the Lord was with Joseph. So, it's like um, the author is saying, from now on, watch and see what happens to a person um, that the Lord is with. So, so you have to look at everything in the life of Joseph and say, oh, that's what it means when the Lord is with you. Oh, that's what it means when the Lord is with you, all right? So I'm not going to read everything from the story of, of Joseph. So, um, so it's recorded. Let's see. Um, in verse 2, verse, uh, chapter 39, the Bible says, then the Lord was with Joseph. And the question is, does that mean before verse 2, the Lord was not with Joseph? In, verse, in chapter 38, when he was at home, when he was getting all the dreams. Yes, yes, and no. But, but verse 2 is actually saying, in a specific way, in a specific way, in a deliberate, intentional way, God was with Joseph. Not before. But as he arrived in Egypt, God was with Joseph. And it makes me to think that Something happened on the way to Egypt that made the author to say, as soon as Dave, Joseph, not David, as soon as Joseph landed in, in, in Egypt, the Lord was with him. And you've got to get this, you get this from, 
Patterson Prophets, page 214. I'm just going to read, I'm not going to read the whole uh, paragraph. Ellen White says in pa Patterson Prophets, this is, this, is, this is the reason why the Lord was with Joseph. And it, it, it rhymes, it resonates with uh, Matthew 28. He says, when Joseph was at the back of the caravan on his way to Egypt, he gave himself fully to the Lord. For the first time, he gave himself fully to the Lord. He prayed, that is Joseph, that the keeper of Israel would be with him in the land of exile. Up until that time, we can be sure that Joseph, even though he was getting all the nice, beautiful dreams, he had not given himself to God. He had not. Now he gives himself to God. Watch what's going to happen. He gives himself to God. His soul is thrilled with a high resolve to prove himself true to God under all circumstances, circumstances he wants to act as become the subject of the king of heaven. Then he says, I will serve the Lord. I will be a missionary. Not necessarily go to Japan, or, but I'll be a missionary. If in across the street, I will serve the Lord with undivided heart. I will meet the trials of my Lord with fortitude and perform every duty with fidelity. He knows there will be trials. Why? Because he has given himself over to God. He has given himself and he has committed himself to serving God. Now, Joseph was now, at this point, going to Egypt, not as a, as a, as a slave, but going there as a missionary. And so verse 2 says, because he was a missionary, God was with Joseph. All right? And so the Lord was with Joseph. And let's see what happens when the Lord is with you. Let me just give you a few things. The Bible says in, in Genesis 39, because the Lord was with Joseph, he was a successful man. So when the Lord is with you, you'll be, a, you'll be successful. All right? I mean, let's, let's, let's go one by one. Uh, we don't want to qualify this. When the Lord is with you, you'll be successful, you'll be prosperous. And the Bible says, the Lord blessed Pharaoh's house and all that he had for the sake, for Joseph's sake. Because the Lord is with you, you're going to be successful. When the Lord is with you, you pass your metric, you pass your courses, you get GPA 4.0. And then the Lord is with you. You know, our children are afraid to pray, so be with me, Lord. Uh, because they say, if the Lord is with you, you might fail your mathematics. No, the Lord knows maths. If he's with you, you'll pass your mathematics. So the Lord is with you. He will bless you. He even says to us here as parents who are missionaries, who are involved in God's mission in one way or the other. He says, for your sake, I will bless your children. For your sake. Because you are faithful. I will bless them. I will protect them. That's beautiful. I thought you would say amen, but that's okay. The other, the other text, uh, this one is for the teens and, and for us as well. It says Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. All right? Some of us would think that this is, not, uh, this is not important, this is not spiritual. No, to be handsome is a spiritual virtue. <laughs> when God is with you, the Bible says when God is with you, you'll be handsome, you'll be beautiful. I've yet to see an ugly Christian. I, I, I haven't lived long. But there's nothing like this, that there's nothing like an ugly. The moment, you see, God is a lover of beauty. Now, some of us may come to the gospel very late after drinking other things we're not supposed to drink. And when you come to the gospel and you accept Christ, you've got all the signs that you are dying. But I promise you, if you stay long with Christ, he massages all those scars, all those little things. And then after a few times, he says, you know, he looks handsome <laughs> when God is with you. There was a young person who was saying, 
Pastor, I'm afraid to pray for my spouse, for a spouse. I'm afraid to pray for, for my wife, because a young man, because God looks at their heart. I, it's good to look at the heart, but I look at the face, you know. So the problem with God, he looks at the heart, but I look at the face. So I, my fear now is God is going to give me an ugly woman who has got a beautiful heart. Yes, I want a beautiful heart, but also a beautiful face. So my, I, I don't know how, whether I, I tried to I manage to convince him. He said, no, God is the lover of beauty. He's the one who created beauty. He, is, he, he doesn't say, I don't care about the external. He also takes care of the external. God does not just build things that are functional. He also builds things that are beautiful. Look at yourself. There are certain things, beautiful aspects you have that are not functional, just beautiful. Beautiful. God has no problem in you being beautiful. Ah, all right. And so the Bible says he was able to withstand temptation. You know why? Because the Lord was with him. When Mrs. Potiphar says, come in and let's break God's commandment, Dave, uh, Joseph was able to say, no, I can't do that because the Lord is with him. And then Joel says, God's presence is the greatest bulwark against temptation. When the Lord is with you, he can give you the courage and the strength to withstand temptation. But not only that, he was accused of a crime he did not commit. He landed in prison. But the Bible says, but God was with him in prison. Which means that the Lord is with you. It does not mean you will not go in prison. You can go in prison. There are many people that we know who have been in prison. So he spent two years. Did everything to get his freedom. But he spent two years in prison. But the Lord was with him in prison. And that prison became a Sabbath school class. I know um, in the Bible... Uh, Peter, Barnabas, and, 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 and Paul, and, and others uh, were also in prison because they were missionaries. The first time Peter went to prison was when he became a missionary. Before then, there was no prison for him. But we know the story of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ. He died in prison. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean God was not with him because he died in prison. He was with him. You know of a story of our two friends uh, Pasmo Hachalinga and uh, Ben Sibanda, uh, how they uh, were taught, not, not maybe tortured, but how they were arrested in Angola, spent days in Angola for a crime they did not commit. You know, when we are missionaries, you may find yourself in prison, not because you have done something wrong, but because of God's missionary. The devil is threatened by your presence. Yes, difficulties will come, but the Lord is with us. He, he will give us resilience. We'll be able to bounce back. Yes, there'll be times and days when life is difficult because you're going through hardship. But it doesn't mean the Lord is with you. When you feel the pain, it doesn't mean that you are, a, you are no longer a believer. You are a human being. Because God is with you. All things, Paul says, in the end will work out for your good. And I often comfort myself by saying that when 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 god is with you and you go through suffering remember god goes with you through that suffering i will fear no evil for thou art with me even though i walk the life after suffering will be better than the life before suffering god has a way of turning your suffering into a glorious monument in a powerful monument so that you, you don't say, I used to have this, but because of the suffering, I've lost everything. You may lose, but if God walks with you through at the end of that valley of the shadow of death, you will see that things are even, 
even. Of course, we're not trying to glorify suffering because, because of, I mean, we're just saying that the Lord works out something good even when we go through those suffering. Of course, the Lord was with Joseph and uh, he became the second uh, only to the king in Egypt. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He was able to forgive his brothers. When you know, when you can forgive your brother, when you can forgive somebody who killed your brother, when you can forgive somebody who stole from you, when you can forgive, then you know the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. He gives you the ability also to, to forgive those who have sinned against you. But if you look at the story of Joseph, he cries. I was counting the other day. He cried almost seven times. I counted to six, seven times crying. Now, this is the man the Bible says the Lord was with, and yet he was crying, crying, shedding tears. You know, when you cry, you are saying, I don't understand. When you are crying, you are saying, yes, you are with me, but I can't, I can't reconcile this with your presence. When you cry, you are confused. Tears are a language. Every tear is a question. And, and I like Psalms 56 verse 8. It says, God has bottled our tears in a container. He collects all our tears and one day God will address all those tears. Because we don't understand. Oh yes, we may not be crying now, but there was a time when we cried. God has not forgotten those tears. He has put them in the refrigerator to make that one day he's going to address them. He's going to answer you. He's going to say, this is what was, this, this was, this, this is what was happening during that time. And he explains to you, even though now you have moved on, you have moved on, life is okay, but God has still an assignment to address those tears. So he keeps them in the bottle. And one day he will say, the Bible says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You can be comforted in the meantime when you wait for that, for that time. What, is that, what does it mean when we say God is with you? Uh, when Joseph, before he dies... He gives a command, a command concerning his bones. And uh, in this command, we see that he longed to be with God. Even though he was the best in Egypt, he still longed to be with God. The beauty of Egypt could not eclipse the beauty that God had prepared for, for Joseph. And so, John 14 says, When I've prepared the place for you, I'll come and fetch you so that where I am, you may be there also. Revelation 21, when it comes to an end, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God, and God shall wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no crying, there shall be no more pain. Now, there is the guarantee you want, final, no more no more because God is with us. Here in this planet that is invaded with sin, God is with us as he takes us to the place where he'll be with us. Let's say that again. God is with us as he takes us to a place where he'll be with us. We are not alone going to a place where we'll find God. He walks with us to a place where he is. He says so that where I am, you may be, we may be with me also, but I will be with you as I go to the place where I am. As you go to the place where I am, I will be with you so that we will always put, be together and sin will never again enter uh, that atmosphere. We are not alone. God is with us as we wait for the time when God will tabernacle with us. Until then, beloved, we fight. Until then, we will have cancers. We will fight the cancers. By God's providence, sometimes God will intervene and uh, 
through the doctors and will be healed. Sometimes we will not be healed, but we keep fighting. Whether, by, whether we die or we don't die, we like this picture of the bull that with the inscription, are ready, are ready for sacrifice or for service. Either, whether I sacrifice, I'm ready. Whether I serve, I am ready. His presence is guaranteed. He will never leave us. Of course, there may be times when you feel he's not there. Don't go by your feeling. He is there. Even when you don't feel he is there. And he understands when you cry and says, Lord, I don't feel you. You don't have to lie and say, I feel you. You don't. Say it. I don't feel your presence. That's true. But God has a way of communicating his presence even in such times. You'll be with us, beloved. That's God's guarantee. By the way, even if you don't go, the devil will come to you. So you have no choice. Might as well go. The gospel is our only fighting chance, beloved. It is our only fighting chance, at least, to do something. To choose how we will die. He'll be with us. That's God's guarantee. Let's go and fight. Let's proclaim the good news to a dying world. Who will go? If you want to join us here as these missionaries and join me here and say, we want to go. It may not be Japan. It may not be Cambodia. It may just be across the street. I will go. If you want to join us, may you stand as we close with a word of prayer. And may God bless you. Our kind and loving Father, we thank you for the invitation to be part of the work that you are doing. You could, you could have done it. You could have said, forget about it. I'll do this on my own. With the angels, we'll finish it. But Lord, you have given us an honor and a privilege to be part of the work that you are doing so that we can also experience the joy of, of being part of your work and see, Lord, how souls are touched and brought to your knowledge. Yes, there will be danger. Yes, there will be difficulties. But the joy surpasses all those. And this is what you want us to experience. Angels would love to do this on their own. But Lord, you have given us this wonderful assignment. Yes, at times we are not as faithful as we should be. Forgive us, Lord, and thank you for this privilege. And may you keep us faithful until that day when we'll tabernacle with you forever. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.